Well, good morning, everybody. In this uh, beautiful fall morning that was sunny a little bit ago, uh, getting clouded up here. Well, this morning, I'm going to invite Irene Potts to come up. And uh, a number of weeks ago, you may recall that I talked a little bit about uh, uh, regular uh, devotions, daily time in the Word of God and in prayer, and uh, asked uh, people that uh, might want to share something about that to let me know. So uh, Irene did that, and we've heard from a few other people, but uh, this, is, this is good, Irene. Uh, she, she was a little nervous about it, but she's, uh, she's going to do it anyway. So come on over and, uh, and share with us some of your devotional practice. I'm really happy to share with you um, how I used my quiet time. Uh, I want to say from the beginning that prayer is not designated to little old ladies. It's available to all ages and to all his believers. But this is how I used my quiet time. I have it divided into three parts. Um, the first part, I read my Bible, and I, I journal. This is the personal time between me and the Lord and the things that I share. And then I read a hymn from my little old book, which I have found very helpful. Today's hymn was a mighty fortress is our God. Isn't that a great thought? And then I have a prayer time. I pray for my individual family, um, the immediate family, just that for that day, the Lord would protect them from Satan's power. And then, I go on with my prayer list. Now, this is kind of a shabby-looking thing, but that's the way it is. And on Monday, I pray for Grace Bible Church. Uh, our officers, our leaders, uh, those who do all the work. <laughs> um, and for a number of people that... Um, work behind the scenes that you just, you don't hear about them, but they're doing a great job. And then on Tuesday, I pray for my family. Um, because I was a, a, a raised as a foster child, um, I kind of have three families. And so I pray for my birth family. Uh, we've been in touch all these years, and there are f uh, five of them still living. I pray for them. I pray for their caregivers. I'm not sure that all of them know the Lord. And then I pray for Austin's family. His family is all with the Lord, but there are spouses and nieces and nephews that it's a privilege to pray for them. 
And then I had a foster mother and her family. Um, that generation is pretty well with the Lord. But I just want to mention that there were three missionaries in that family. It's no wonder I have an interest in missions. And then I pray for friends of long ago, the, the friends you don't see anymore uh, for whatever reason. On Wednesday is my missionary prayer day. And I just have to say, this day would be a problem for me if it weren't for Laura Timlin. She sees that I get copies of the letters because I'm a pencil paper person. Uh, I am not a this kind. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate that Laura does that. Um, there's just so many advantages um, to being able to go over that letter and to see them where they are, uh, to share in their ministry. It kind of makes me feel like I'm a, a part of what they do. And then I pray. Um, oh, um, I just wanted to mention that um, we have missionaries that are a part of our Grace Chapel, of our Grace Bible family. Now, I hope you try to get to know them through um, whatever means. On Thursday, I pray for my immediate family. I pray for them in detail. Um, the little concerns that they share with me, uh, the little things that I might observe, uh, the transitions in their life, their changes, their decisions. Um, and I enjoy doing this, but I, for some people, it's really hard to share a prayer request. I don't quite know why, but this is true. But I noticed that this is never a problem for missionaries. They're on the front line. They know what they're facing. They know what's out there. And they always have a prayer requests to share. Um, also on Thursday, I pray for the middle school, the high school kids, and those that work with them. Wes. <laughs> on uh, Friday, I pray for government and organizations that are working in and through our government. Uh, this page is pretty messy. Uh, there's cross-outs, there's write-ins, there's concerns. But I am just so thankful that I can be a little tiny part of uh, the job that God wants us to do. Um, the pastor wanted us to share the blessings and the problems I think for me, one thing I had to get straightened out was the fact that you often don't hear the end of the story. You hear, pray for this, pray for travel, pray for health, but you don't hear the end of the story. Did they get there? Did they live? And it made me realize that 
um, I don't need to know the end of the story. I've put it in God's hands, and he knows the end of the story. Um, the blessings are innumerable, but the fellowship with the Father, a perfect peace, even during the pandemic, I didn't have to panic. I knew who was in charge, and I had peace. And I just feel like, it makes me feel like a part of God's greater plan. And I just am glad that I can be a part of that. Um, I wanna, my little old trusty book. Uh, here's a, a poem that was written in the 1700s. And it says, the prayer is soul's sincere desire. Prayer is the burden of a sigh. Prayer is the simplest form of speech. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath. Lord, teach us how to pray. And I just, I feel that this is, is my garden. I want to tend it with care. Well, thank you, Irene. There is... Much work to be done in prayer, even as we get older. And I think uh, the way it works out is we have more time. And to use that as a good steward, we thank you for that. I'm sure Grace Bible, many other people uh, have been blessed by your faithfulness. All right. Today, I want to talk about <clears throat> prayer in a minor key. I want to look at Psalm 72, so follow along as I read it. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, 
a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Well, uh, I entitled this uh, uh, A Prayer in the Minor Key. And uh, uh, minor key is musical term, right? Uh, major keys, minor keys, and uh, uh, I wish I had a musician here who could explain the technical difference, but I can't. I can hear it, you can hear it, The major key is more upbeat, more positive. The minor key is more somber, reflective, sad, uh, or even threatening. You know, when the villain is about to come on the scene in the movie, the background music is always minor key. Well, prayers can be in the major key. They can be upbeat and positive. You can certainly find those in in the prayers in the Psalms, which were also sung, by the way, right? So they're they're prayers and they're songs. So you can find that major key, the Hallelujah Psalms, for example, praise the Lord and lift up with the cymbals and everything else and the trumpets, but then you get prayers in the minor key. And uh, that's what we have here in Psalm 42. These, uh, the Bible scholars will call prayers of lament. And uh, the estimate is that uh, at least a third of the Psalms, right, 50 out of 150, or depending on who it is and how they're reading these Psalms, uh, may go up to half of the Psalms are prayers of lament. To lament is to express grief, to mourn, to complain. And uh, that's what Psalm 42 is, is doing, Psalm we just read. It's mourning, it's grieving before God, and there's some complaining going on. The setting of the psalm is in the northern part of of Israel. Verse 6 says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. Hermon is that large range in in modern-day Lebanon, right on the Israeli northern border. And the Jordan River takes its uh, beginning from large springs that flow out of the base of Mount Hermon. And then the, the water flows south, right on through Israel, all the way down to the Dead Sea, through uh, the Sea of Galilee and, and so forth. <clears throat> so here's a picture of the, 
some of the headwaters of the Jordan. Uh, it's not a little spring. It, uh, it's quite impressive, the amount of water that comes out and goes over waterfalls and down through cataracts. And <clears throat> apparently, this is where the psalmist finds himself. And he is... All through the psalm, he's thinking about water. It starts out expressing thirst as the deer pants for streams of water. So my soul pants for you, O God. But he's in a land of lots of water, although what we will soon find is that that doesn't do him any good at this point. The psalm is filled then with expressions of grief or mourning or complaint. So let's, uh, let's pick them up here. First, uh, God seems absent. Where is God? My soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Well, you say, he's praying, isn't he? Don't we meet with God when we pray? Well, sometimes we do. But in terms of of our experience, sometimes you pray and it doesn't seem like anything is happening except that your words are echoing back from the ceiling. And that's the case with the psalmist here. We don't know the particular circumstances, which is one reason the psalms are so beneficial, because lots of times, by not telling the explicit circumstances, they have more application to all of us. So God seems absent, and tears are his food, verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. Have you had situations that were so sad in your life that you did not want to eat? I I think that's part of what this is saying, right? All I'm eating is my tears. That's all I want to do is weep. And then for the psalmist, we find that joyful worship is only a memory. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng, but that's not his reality now. He mourns what used to be. And says, my soul is downcast. Verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He repeats that again in verse 11 at the end of the psalm. This This is unrelieved distress. And in part, it seems that the psalmist doesn't even know why. That's why he's asking the question of himself. What's happened to me? 
talking to his own soul, my soul, my inner person. Why are you feeling like this? And then he feels overwhelmed by his circumstances. Remember, he says, my soul is downcast. I will remember you from the land of the Jordan. Well, remember the picture, the the waterfall and the cataracts. And what he says then is, verse 7, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. He thirsts for God, and he's in the land now of plentiful water, but but in his heart and his mind, he looks at those waterfalls and that gurgling cataract of water, and it doesn't help him at all because he says, I feel like I'm at the bottom of that waterfall. All your waves, all your breakers are rolling over me, God. I'm overwhelmed by my circumstances. And somehow you're involved in this. And so he feels forsaken, forgotten. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? So there's another problem. He's got some opponents that are taking advantage of him in one way or another. He feels oppression from the opposition. And and then you notice the grief that he feels is even physical. Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony. And we know, of course, that that grief can do that. It can have physical effects on your body. Well, that's lament, friends. Now think about it. At least a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. In a number of these psalms, including Psalm 42, there is no easy fix for his problems. And there is no end in sight. Have have you been in that place? I suspect some of you are in that place right now. That's why these psalms are given to us. This this theme of lament is an an important one in Scripture. In the Old Testament, uh, we think of of certain figures that are associated with lament. We we did a study a couple years back on Job, right? Well, Job, you read a lot of his stuff, and it is classic Lament. Where is God? Oh, that I knew where I might find him, says Job, that I could come into his presence. And if we could just have an umpire to stand between me and God, then I could make my case to him and I'd like to know what he would say to me. But as it is, I don't know where I don't know where God is. 
And then there's Jeremiah. The weeping prophet, we call him. Read the book of Jeremiah, you'll see why he weeps. Jerusalem is surrounded by the Babylonian army. Long-term siege. Supplies run out in the city. People are dying. Children with distended bellies lay in the street and pass away. And their own mothers are so hungry that they eat their children. It's gruesome. It's grim. And Jeremiah is the prophet who brings the word of judgment from God, who says, this is happening to Judah because Judah has followed other gods. He's the weeping prophet. You'd weep too if you had to bring the message that he had to bring and to see the things he had to see. He wrote a whole book that we have, five chapters in our Old Testament, called Lamentations. Chapter 3, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. I wonder how often he meditated on Psalm 42. Same kind of language, isn't it? Do you, know, do you know what comes right after these verses in Lamentations chapter 3? What comes right after this is, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Yeah. It's of the Lord's mercies. Great is your faithfulness. We even have a hymn that we sing based on those verses in Lamentation, but we don't do anything with the verses right before, these verses. And the greater part of Lamentations is like this. God, you've treated me like a a wild bear at the roadside that drags me off. The lion that lays in wait. Jesus knew about the tradition of lament. Isaiah the prophet tells us in Isaiah chapter 53 that the Messiah to come will be known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Lament. Well, what what ought we to take from this kind of prayer? Let me... uh, give you a couple of quick lessons here that speak to me. First is this, that biblical faith is very realistic. Life is hard. Catherine Hepburn, who I, I don't really see her as having a particularly hard life, uh, but she said, life is hard. After all, it kills you. Well, yeah. Life really is hard, and Scripture recognizes that. You'll sometimes hear people speak disparagingly of Christian faith, uh, saying something like, you know, it's all about pie in the sky until you, when you die. 
it's, it's unrealistic. It's, it doesn't deal with real life. No, no. Biblical faith has its feet firmly planted in the future where there is hope and where there's healing and there's restoration firmly planted in the future but also firmly planted in the present and present life is hard. Jesus said to his disciples, in the world you're going to have trouble. And he would know. So biblical faith is realistic. And I appreciate the laments of Scripture. I need them to be reminded that when I face difficulty and burdens and I feel sad and depressed, I'm not alone. Scripture and the writers of Scripture knew full well what it was like to be in those places. And that means that it's okay to grieve because life is hard and we do suffer. It's okay to grieve to complain, to express confusion. God, I don't understand what's happening here. I don't, I don't like it. I wonder what it is you're up to. You find all of this in the, in the prayers of lament. The other thing is that sometimes what I need are words. Because sometimes the, the burdens that we encounter are too deep for our own words. We, we're not sure even what to say. We can be so depressed by our circumstances that we don't want to talk. We can't talk. We don't know what to say even to God. And, and so we may in those situations avoid prayer altogether. Well, what the laments of Scripture do, Psalm 42 and other psalms like that, is that they give us words when we don't have words. One of the reasons that on Sundays we have this practice of praying along with a psalm is that, that praying the Psalms is something that I think we need to learn to do. Because the Psalms allow you to talk about some things and press you to talk about some things that you otherwise might not bother praying about or even know that you should pray about. And when we're lamenting, when we're hit by the waves and the breakers that take us under and threaten to drown us, well, it's good to have words. And if you don't have your own words, Scripture gives you those words that you can pray. And, and sometimes you can't do anything but, but simply pray them verbatim. Just read them and offer them up as a prayer. 
and say, amen, God, that's, that's how I feel. Or you can pray a psalm in a little bit different way, and that is to take the thoughts of a psalm and listen to the words and reflect back to God what you're hearing. So you can use the identical words to pray, or, or you can use the thoughts. You can hear the psalmist saying, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. And you can say, Lord, that's a pretty good description of what I'm facing right now. I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like there's no rescue. And I, I don't know where you are. I believe you're my Savior, but where is, the, where is the lifeboat? Where's the life preserver that you're going to throw me? Because I just keep going down. Sometimes we need words. And then the last thing is this. That it's appropriate to grieve... Because that's honest, that's where we are. And Scripture encourages us to grieve before God and to bring our mourning and our complaints to Him. But what we find in the people of the Bible is that when they complain and when they mourn before God, they do it in hope. And, and that's a key thing, see... You can, you can complain before God with an attitude of rebellion. You, you can do that. You read the, read the life stories or the testimonies and comments of some of the modern atheists. Or just listen to agnostic people who, you know, they just say, well, I don't know, I don't know if there's a God. But, but listen to what they say and notice how often their denial of God's reality and presence is anger over unanswered prayer. That is very common. And, of course, you can run into Christians who are in a very bad place and are themselves very angry at God. And the stories take similar patterns. This is what happened to me. This is where I was, and I prayed to God about it, and He didn't deliver me. And they're angry. And sometimes they take that anger right to their graves. Well, that's not what you get from Scripture. That's not the kind of lamenting in Scripture. Both those people are facing problems. The biblical people and the, the angry, rebellious against God people. See, they're both facing similar problems because life is hard. But in Scripture, those who lament, lament in hope. So twice over in this psalm, here's what we are given. 
Repeated verses, verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then at the end of the psalm, the problems haven't gone away. 42, there's no progress on solving the problems. But in the middle and even at the end, there's this statement of hope. My soul, why are you so downcast? Troubling circumstances, no end in sight, but a hope that the God that the psalmist is praying to is still his God, is still his Savior. And so there's this hope, this even, you say, a confidence that a day is coming when the psalmist is going to praise God once again. See, we grieve in hope. It's one of the reasons that I, I won't say I enjoy, but I do appreciate a Christian funeral, a good Christian funeral. Because in those situations, what I hear again and again is Christians speaking out of their pain, but nevertheless with hope and confidence in the goodness of God. Right? And, and that's not something you get elsewhere. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, as Christians, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We do grieve, but we grieve with this hope and confidence that through whatever it is we're traveling, God is still there, though we might, not, we might wonder where he is. We might say, God, with Jeremiah, you've waylaid me like a bear beside the road. You've jumped on me. You've broken my teeth. See, I find it almost hard to think that way about God, but, but Jeremiah does. His pain is so deep. But he's also the one who says, God, your, your faithfulness endures. I trust you. Your mercies are new every morning. Even in Jerusalem. Even when he gets thrown into the bottom of a dry well and his feet sink in the mud. Your mercies are new every morning. Even as he has to watch children dying of thirst and malnutrition. God, your mercies are new every morning. That's my hope. That's my confidence. So, brothers and sisters, some of you are grieving. Even today. And others will grieve in the near future because life is hard. But we grieve in hope. In hope of a God who watches out for his people, who cares for them, and who promises one day to wipe away every tear from our eyes. But it's okay to lament. 
and you're encouraged to do so in situations of deep grief. Let's uh, ask our musical people to come up and close us out here. Let me pray for you as we get ready to close. Lord, thank you that the one you sent to be our Savior was known as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He who is now raised from the dead, exalted and seated at your right hand, who also intercedes for us, is one who knows that grief is real and deep and who prays for us in our weakness, in our confusion, in our sadness, in our depression. God, that gives us hope that as you raised him up from the dead and instated him once again in the joy that he had with you before the foundation of the world, so you will raise us up in him in your time, in your way. And so we are people who have hope. God, we look to you. We pray for any of our brothers and sisters here this morning who are suffering from one affliction or another that, that is tossing them around and breaking their hearts and threatening to steal their hope. God, we lift them up to you. We trust in you. And we do believe that your faithfulness will never leave us, that your mercies are indeed new every morning. We give you thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.